Welcome to Practical Christian Living. It would be nice if only when people repent, I can forgive them, because then I could hold that bitterness, I could hold that hurt, I could think how awful and what horrible things they did to me, and I could kind of hold them hostage without feeling bad about it. What he is saying is, if someone repents, you have to forgive them. Don't let someone come to you and confess and repent and you not forgive them. The Bible is clear in requiring forgiveness. In order to be forgiven, we have to forgive. This is not easy. And if you are struggling with forgiveness, we want to challenge you to listen to this entire message and allow God's Word to minister to you and soften your heart in bringing you to a place of obedience. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you will give you the power to forgive. If you are not a believer, listen, it's time today to make that commitment to Christ and start living in the freedom only Jesus can bring you. With Matthew 18, 19 through 20, here's Robert Furrow. How do you forgive someone when they hurt you? How do you forgive someone when you are hurting from what someone has done? Jesus said in the model prayer that we have, the Lord's Prayer, most of us know it by heart, He said in one part of it, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. He connects them together. When we are forgiven, then we are forgivers. In fact, he makes a stronger connection here that we'll look at in just a little while. It is a clear teaching of the Bible that we have and are being forgiven. We've been forgiven by God and we are forgiven if we confess our sins. As we walk with Christ, we get our feet clean and we're forgiven. It's also a clear teaching in the Bible that we have to forgive people around us. And I'm not going to pretend that this is easy. Forgiving people when they have hurt you is not easy. And sometimes people have hurt you in really severe, bad ways. Sometimes when you're teaching about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness, it's easy to make the offense lighter. So there's something you have to forgive. But we're not going to do that. We know that there's very real betrayals. There's very real pain. There's pain and betrayals that you want to hold on for a lifetime. And forgiving is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's one of the kind of studies that I do when people will come up afterwards and tell me, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can forgive because this person hurt me so bad. First, let's consider what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Then let's talk about a couple of misconceptions about forgiveness. And then we're going to take a look at our text where Peter asks how many times he has to forgive. So first of all, we want to consider what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Let me just give you a few verses. Ephesians 4:32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's to be our interaction. And as we talk online too, online comments are not kind places. There's a lot of anger, there's a lot of bitterness, there's a lot of things that are said. And that verse should be applied. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I also like Colossians 3.13, which says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, 
If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. It is extremely important to do it. And Jesus told us about forgiveness in Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them your trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Now, that's a pretty heavy passage. What it tells us is that forgiveness is a fruit of salvation. That when we receive forgiveness from God, you know, the Bible says that when we are born again, we're transformed and everything is made new. Old things pass away. Everything is made new. That one of those transformations is that you become a forgiver. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means that when you're a forgiven person, you realize what great things you have been forgiven and you become a forgiver. And if you are not a forgiver, it's time to evaluate whether or not you have really been forgiven of your sins because it's one of the fruits, it's one of the signs that you and I have really made a commitment to Christ and have really been forgiven. Let's consider some of the misconceptions about forgiveness. Some believe that in order to forgive someone who's hurt us, that they need to repent. Jesus said in Matthew 14, 3 and 4, if someone sins against you and repents, you forgive them. And if someone sins against you seven times in one day and comes to you every time repenting, you forgive them. Now, just taking that at face value, that's hard. Because if the guy does it seven times in the same day and asks for forgiveness seven times, you start to think, I don't know that you're really serious about your repentance. But Jesus said, if they come to you and they repent, you forgive them. So some have taken from that verse that if they don't repent, I don't have to forgive them. Now, let me just say, I kind of wish that's what the Bible said. It would be nice if only when people repent, I have, can forgive them because then I could hold that bitterness. I could hold that hurt. I could think how awful and what horrible things they did to me. And I could kind of hold them hostage without feeling bad about it. What he is saying is if someone repents, you have to forgive them. Don't let someone come to you and confess and repent and you not forgive them. Make sure that if they take that step to come to you and say, I'm sorry. And sometimes people coming to you and saying, I'm sorry, uh, can, can make things worse. We used to be the Calvary Tucson used to be the headquarters for the affiliation in Arizona. It meant we worked with Costa Mesa, which was is kind of the flagship of Calvary Chapel. And we kind of did a lot of the details for them when new churches would start or when there was a problem between churches or in a church. A pastor had to be removed. So we worked with a lot of churches during that time. And one gal came to me at a conference. Her husband was a pastor of a Calvary Chapel here in Arizona. And she said to me, I need to confess to you that I've hated you, but I don't hate you anymore. I don't know why she told me that. Because at that moment, I hated her. It was like, I now had to repent from hating her. I, sometimes I wonder, why do we feel that we have to go and say things like that? She could have just simply said, hey, I've held some resentment against you and I'm going to ask you to forgive me. That could have been easy enough. But to actually say, I've hated you for years and now I've repented from it. I don't hate you anymore. Huh, huh. I don't know that that's exactly the right way to deal with that. So what about people who don't repent? Well, Stephen was being killed and stoned 
And right before he died, he said, Lord, do not lay this on their account. They hadn't repented and Stephen forgave them. What about Jesus on the cross? As they're nailing him to the cross, the Bible puts it in the continual that he prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These Roman soldiers must have heard all kinds of things when they were crucifying men. They must have heard men pleading and begging, offering bribes, telling them they'd be able to get them things. They must have heard everything, curses, slurs. They must have heard it all. But to hear someone say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They weren't repenting. And Jesus forgave them. And listen to Mark eleven twenty-five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. This tells us that that picture of forgiveness is bigger than just if someone repents. If you stand praying and you have anything against anyone, that's as broad as it can be. Who's in the category of anyone? Everyone. If you stand praying and you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That's with repentance or without it. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. Putting all of the passages about forgiveness that Jesus talked about in the Bible, we learn that it's important to forgive someone when they repent. And it's important to forgive someone when they don't repent as well. Now, reconciliation, we're going to get to that in a moment, might not come if someone doesn't repent. Reconciliation is a lot more likely and doesn't have to happen if someone repents, but it's a lot more likely when someone does. Also, when someone repents and really apologizes to you in a good way, it can help you to deal with the hurt and the bitterness and the anger that you have. So consider if you've hurt someone asking for their forgiveness, but make sure you ask in a way that doesn't prompt more bitterness and more anger and something that somebody has to deal with so much so that 20 years later, he's talking about it on a Wednesday night service from the pulpit. Isn't it funny how those kind of things hang out, you know? You remember them well. Second, this is misconceptions about sin. So first is the misconception that someone has to repent in order to be forgiven. Second is that if I forgive sin, trespass, betrayal against those who have sinned against me, that it won't hurt anymore. That somehow the hurt will be gone. But that's just not true because we remember the betrayal. And all I can speak of is my own experiences of being betrayed and then how that will come back to me. How I won't think about it for years. And then how all of a sudden something will be set off in my memory and I'll remember the hurt. I'll remember the pain. I'll think, why did they do that? Why did they have to do it that way? And I'll kind of start to wallow around in the hurt. I kind of just settle down in a little, a little bit. It's not anything that I want. I don't want to feel that way. But there's something about that pain that was caused and wallowing around in it that makes me feel somehow satisfied. And I don't understand it. But there still will be hurt. And we have to deal with the hurt when it arises again. Especially if we still have relationships with those people that have hurt us. We still have to deal with that hurt. The third misconception on forgiveness is that forgiveness means reconciliation. 
Years ago, after a study on unforgiveness, I had a woman come up to me and say, I cannot remarry my husband. I wasn't talking about remarrying. I was talking about forgiveness. But she assumed that when I said, no matter what your ex-husband has done, you have to forgive him. That can be a hard thing, right? Because ex-husbands and ex-wives can cause a lot of pain. And no matter what your ex has done, you have to forgive them. She thought that meant that I've got to remarry him. She said, I can't remarry him. You don't know what he did. And I said, okay, I'm not, how did you ever get that? Because forgiving doesn't mean reconciliation. Listen, God does some amazing things and I've seen some amazing reconciliations. I've seen people divorced, go through to marriages of their own and then God bring those people back together again. I've seen God work incredible restorations when someone has been a serial adulterer, their wife is divorcing them and then there's a radical change and God gets involved and I've seen them come back together again and the particular person I'm thinking of today is a pastor today. God's using him as a pastor in a church today. Even though before he came to Christ, he was a serial adulterer and their marriage was almost destroyed, but God restored that marriage. God is great at bringing people back together again and maybe a reconciliation would happen, but it doesn't have to. If your best friend does something that really violates that friendship, you don't ever have to be best friends with them again. You can't hold bitterness and anger and unforgiveness towards them, but you can say, I don't know if I can trust them. The same is true with an ex-husband or an ex-wife. You, you have to forgive them, but you could say, I don't know if I trust them, and so I'm not going to put myself in a position to be hurt again. You don't have to put yourself in a position to be hurt again just because you've forgiven. You might. God might do an incredible work. God might do an incredible restoration, but it's a misconception to think that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. Now let's take a look at our text and we'll talk some more about forgiveness when we get done with this. So in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now maybe he was thinking of the statement Jesus said when he said, if your brother sins against you and repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times, forgive him. And Peter's like thinking, I'm paying attention, Lord. How often should I forgive someone if they sin against me? Seven times? And some of us might think that's a, you know, pretty incredible length of forgiveness. Allow someone to do something seven times and we still forgive them. Jesus said unto him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. If I do my math right, that's 490 times. I don't think that Jesus was saying, get a pencil, make a little mark, get a, a notepad, make a little mark every time you forgive them. When you get to 490, you don't have to do it anymore. He's saying we are to be forgiving people even if someone hurts us again and again and again and again. And I think we should recognize how hard it is what he's saying that we can never allow ourselves to settle in bitterness no matter how many times a person has hurt us. And then he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And then when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents. A talent is an amount of money. Remember the parable of the talents? One guy, one servant receives 10 talents, another receives five talents, another receives one talent. 
It's not talking about talent like my talent to tap dance or my talent with, uh, you know, numjucks. We're talking about money. That's what talents are. And so a talent is an incredible amount of money. In fact, when you try to figure out exactly how what an equivalent to a talent would be today, it's very hard to do. It's such a large sum of money. One servant was given 10 talents. That's incredible. This guy owns, owes 10,000 talents. It would be something like a man was brought before him who owed him $2 billion. That's the kind of size we're talking about here. It's an amount that would be impossible for somebody that has gone broke to come up with. But he was not able to pay. Verse 25, his master condemned that he be sold, commanded <laughs> that he would be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Well, in their day, if you couldn't pay your debts, then you could go to debtor's prison and here they would become slaves. Jesus talks about the practice of selling the wives and children into slavery. If that was still the case today, there'd be a lot less bankruptcy, right? If that was the case. The servant therefore fell down before him. You can imagine this was with a lot of emotion. He's thinking of his wife. He's thinking of his children. He's thinking of his own life. He fell down before him saying, Master, have, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. How amazing to forgive such an incredible debt. Maybe this man realized I'm not getting it anyway. Even if I sell them, I'm not going to get anything close to 10,000 talents back from them. It's too large of a sum of money. But he showed great compassion and he forgave him. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii would be about a half year's worth of, of money. Not talents, not a hundred talents, but a hundred denarii. He owned 10,000 talents and now somebody owes him a hundred denarii. This is a significantly smaller. It's not nothing. It's significant. Half of your year's wage, you, whatever you make, you could think about it that way. So it's significant. But he owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay all. Sound familiar? But where the servant that had owed the 10,000 talents really couldn't repay it all. Once you've lost your money to try to remake that kind of money back, but this guy could repay it and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And what a dumb thing really debtor's prison was because once you throw a person into prison, there's no way they're going to make money to pay the debt. So they're just in debtor's prison. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved. They saw the compassion of the king and they were very grieved and they came and they told their master all that he had done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as he should pay all that was due to him? So my heavenly Father will do to each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers. In verse 34 it says, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due him. 
Then he says, so my heavenly father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers their trespasses. That's a pretty heavy passage. But it reminds us that we have been forgiven a great debt by God. We owed a debt we couldn't pay in that we could not go into eternity with him. We could not make our own way for eternal life. And any debt that someone owes us is significantly smaller than that. And this is a good way for us to think about forgiveness. When someone harms us, when someone betrays us, when someone mistreats us or, or, or sins against us, in our mind, they owe us a debt. We grab a hold of them, not literally by the throat, but figuratively for sure, and, and we are not going to let go of it. We're going to make them pay. And so if we right now are dealing with a lot of hurt, real, genuine hurt, and you're hearing this message and you're thinking, how can I forgive? Well, let me give you what I think are some steps for forgiving even when we're hurt. Number one, you have to let that person go. You got him by the throat. You're holding on to that bitterness, that anger. You, are, you, are, you, you think you're hurting them by being angry against them. But in reality, you're probably not hurting them at all. And it is simply letting them go. It's simply saying, maybe to God and only to God, God, they don't owe me anything anymore for hurting me. We're so used to the idea of retribution, someone who hurts us or hurts our property, and we get something back from them, that we feel like we ought to get something back from the person who hurt us. And when we say, God, I'm going to forgive them, I'm going to let them go, they no longer owe me anything. There's such freedom in that. And maybe that's even the prayer that you pray. God, I let them go. They don't owe me anything. I forgive them. Some of you need to pray that prayer right now. It's a funny thing. I'm studying forgiveness this morning and my mind goes to a couple of ways in which I've been hurt. And those feelings came back to me. Isn't that, isn't that a funny thing? And I found myself having to practice it. I found myself sitting in my office saying, okay, God, they don't owe me anything. I need to let them go. I had to say to God, forgive me because I'd forgiven them. And then when it all kind of came back, I found myself feeling that anger and that bitterness again, feeling that hurt once again. And uh, we just need to let them go. Just need to say, God, they are forgiven. As you forgave me, I forgive them. Number two, deal with that hurt in the right way. When that hurt comes back around again, like it did for me this morning, that you would say, Lord, I remember that I have forgiven them, that you wouldn't kind of coddle that hurt and bring it back in. Because I said, there's something strangely, maybe even sinfully satisfying about wallowing around in that hurt. Handling it in the right way is to say, God, I forgave them. And I want to move on from this. I'm hurt still, but I want to, I want to reiterate that I forgave them. I think that's the right way to handle it. Number three, stop speaking against them. It's funny when someone has done something against you and their name comes up, how you want to tell everybody what that person did against you. I've got one person in particular in my life that years ago when we started the ministry had done some things that had hurt me. And it's funny because his name will come up and I immediately want to say, oh yeah, Here's what he did. I immediately want to tell people it. Stop speaking against them. 
That is a heart of malice, which would be unforgiveness. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.